Scripture this reading is from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. So in in recognition of the authority of God's word, I would invite you to stand as I read for us from Mark 14. It was now two days before the Passover in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than three narii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who is one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is God's word. Please be seated. Just taking a moment to survey the scene here. Just want to welcome everybody again. Thank you to the Berries for hosting us. What a what a privilege it is to be out out here. Thankful to all of you guys who are tuning in at home. We wish you were here with us. Um, man, it makes me miss you guys. Miss the times that we get together to, that we don't get to get together. This is a privilege to be out here. Um, I love it. I love the whole thing. I love babies running around. I love. Uh, uh, I love the, the noises and, and the outdoors, and it's just fun. It's fun to be out here. Hopefully it's something that will stick. Yep. I need to clear the air about something, about my wife, who I love very much. Uh, many of you have heard that uh, Darcy broke uh, her, her leg, her ankle. Last week we were at family camp, and uh, I am the one who did it, you all. I'm, I am that guy. Uh, we were playing volleyball together, and she was on my right, and I was in the middle, and the ball came in between us, and we did not see each other, and we collided, and she fell down, and I landed on top of her, and oh, man, poor woman. <laughs> she had surgery this last week, screws and plate and everything like that. She's recovering at home. She wishes she could be here today, um, but it's been quite a week, needless to say. Um, but I wanted to clear the air before anything else went further around about it. Um, and we're thankful, super thankful, for all of you guys who have been calling and texting and serving and giving in different ways. So thankful for all the care and the love of the people of God. And 
was thinking today, you know, though she's bound at home and we are bound at home in a lot of ways because of that, the word of God is not bound. And it's so fun to be able to preach out in the open air like this. So thankful to be here. Um, Last week, let's dive right in. Last week, Scott uh, walked us through what is likely the most difficult chapter in the gospel, Mark. Uh, Bible scholars and pastors uh, have struggled with that thorny passage to determine everything that's in there. G.K. Chesterton uh, once said, it is only the fool who tries to get the heavens inside his head and not unnaturally his head bursts. The wise man is content to get his head inside the heavens. And and that's what Scott was trying to do last week. Um, Not pack all that's there into our heads, but to briefly get our head inside Jesus's explanation of heavenly things, that is, of his return, um, to once and for all establish that kingdom that he, came to, to, that he came to set up on earth. So the main point from last week, just to get us a little context, was stay awake, be ready. Jesus is coming again. I remember uh, when Darcy and I were first married, we attended a Bible study, and uh, one of the older gentlemen who was in the Bible study went with us whenever he would, we would walk to our cars after the Bible study, at, almost every time he would always look at me and he'd say, see you on Sunday if I don't see you on the way up. And what he meant was he was talking about Jesus' return. He was, you know, I would kind of laugh at him, I thought it was kind of funny, but the truth is this guy was ready. He was ready. He was awake that that passage was talking about. Um, He wanted the Lord to return and set right all the wrongs. That's what he was talking about last week. So Jesus, he condemned the temple. He prophesied its destruction. And from this point on in the gospel of Mark, he's not going to go back. He's not going to go back to the temple. Jesus is now headed to the cross. All the way back at the beginning of Mark, if you guys have been tracking with us, all the way back at the beginning... Jesus first walks on the scene. John the Baptist ushers him in. And then, do you remember the very first thing that he did? He got baptized. He got baptized. Do you remember that? He plunged himself into the sin and sorrow and judgment of this world. That was being pictured right there in that moment. He was going deep into all that for his people. That's why he came. He came to go into the the waters, the sin, of the world. And then, do you remember? He went even further. He went out into the desert, further, deeper into judgment and sin. Why? For us. And that hasn't let up all through the gospel of Mark. It, he, he dove deep into the sin and the sorrow and the suffering and the pain of this world. And all the way through, he, that, 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 that evil, that darkness has remained. And now the darkness is closing in. But in these dark days, our Savior, these are dark days for him, we see this beam of light. That's our passage today. It's a beautiful act of worship, an act of worship that's so simple and pure, we're still talking about it today, 2,000 years later. We're going to witness this disciple of Jesus worship him in his dark hour, but I want, to, I want to be really clear about this, and we've said this a lot through the Gospel of Mark. just want to hit this again. This is here for you. This is here for me. This story about this woman doing this thing, this is here for us to take a look at our own heart. 
by the power of God. This is an invitation for you to take stock of your own heart, your own life. And here's a question I just want to ask at the beginning. Do, do you love him? He who gave his life as a ransom for you. Do you love him? And, and how will you express that love for him? Let's ask for the Lord's help. I'm going to pray, and then we'll go in. Father, help us to worship you. I ache for myself to be a worshiper of you, a wholehearted worshiper of you. I pray that all of us would be worshipers of you. Help us to worship now. Help us to cause us, Lord, to behold wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes in the Gospel of Mark, Mark arranges things like a sandwich. Uh, There's two slices of bread and the meat or the peanut butter, whatever you want to put in there, that's in the middle. It's just a structure that he uses, and that's what we've got here. We've got a Mark sandwich. On the bread on either side of this passage, uh, in this case, is the sought-after death of Jesus. So let me just show you the two slices of bread first, and then we'll look at the, the meat or the peanut butter in the middle there. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. Verse 2, for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. For the religious leaders, Jesus was a problem that needed to be solved. He intended to overturn their religious systems like he overturned tables in the temple. He was flipping it all over. And the answer to their problem walks right up to them. Skip to that other slice of bread. That's verses 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. So chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. It's easy. I I think it's easy for me, at least. It's easy to write off the religious elite as different than us, as cold and cruel, just rotten to the core. I'm not like that. We're not like that. We cannot forget that the sins of the religious elite, of these religious leaders, live in our hearts too. The sin that keeps coming up again and again as you look at Jesus' interactions over the last several chapters with these religious leaders has to do with fear. Not the rightly placed fear of God, but rather the fear of man. They made God small and people big. They had used even worship, the worship of God. Uh, the way that they pray, or the way that they give, or the clothes that they wear. They use that as a means of gaining the approval of man, of other people. But Jesus, what did he praise? He praised the simple, seemingly unnoticed act of a widow placing two pennies in the offering plate. The people that Jesus holds up as praiseworthy, think about it. Children, widows, sinners. Those people fear God and not man. Disciples of Jesus know that they need a physician, a physician of the heart. Followers of Jesus don't do things so that they're seen by others. They do things out of love for God. Jesus' children, they know that he is all that they need and will give everything to have him. He wants a heart 
like that. He wants a heart. Jesus wants a heart that yearns for him. A heart that, frankly, uh, can make you look like a fool in the eyes of the world. But in the eyes of God, it's beautiful. And that's what he wants for us. That's what his word here is for us today. I really believe that. It's his challenge. It's a challenge. It's a help to us. And I've been praying that that's the case. So with the backdrop of Judas's hideous act, that ugly act, let's see what Jesus calls beautiful. Look with me at verse 3. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman, sorry, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So this is in Bethany. It's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Jesus is at home of a, of a former leper, probably somebody that he had healed. And while he's eating, this woman comes in, right? Just getting the scene here. She has in her hands an alabaster jar. Alabaster is a white stone, pretty soft, so it can be carved, and it can also be easily broken. It contained inside that uh, an ointment, an oil made from pure nard. Nard is a plant, so it's very fragrant, it would, and that fragrance would be powerful. It wasn't watered down in any way. It was pure, which means it would linger for a long time after it was poured out. It would linger all the way through much sweat and blood and even into the tomb. She snaps the jar at the neck and pours the entire contents out on Jesus. Very costly. In today's money, it would be about $50,000. That's what that cost. What had she just done? What just happened there? Well, we have two different responses recorded, right? We have some from, from some disciples, some people who were in the room, and then we have Jesus' response. So the disciples, whoever they were, they weren't named. It says that they were indignant. They were upset. They were angry. Look at verses 4 and 5. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Jesus was indignant before in the Gospel of Mark. Same word. He was indignant when the disciples wouldn't let the children come to him. These people, and they're not, again, they're not specifically named, they, they feel the same emotion, but it's, it's wrong. Why did they feel that way? Why would they feel indignant or angry? Well, she'd wasted it. It could have been given to the poor. They scolded her for being thoughtless, careless, frivolous. And what was Jesus' response? Because ultimately, his is the one that matters, right? First, he defends her. He says, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? And then he praises her. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And that, that's what I really want to think about with you. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Why is it beautiful? What made it beautiful? So here's some things that, that came to my mind as I thought about this and prayed through it. Here's the first thing. I got four things. Here's the first one. It's beautiful because she made the right calculation. At some point, at some point before she came into the room with the bottle, intent to pour that out on Jesus, she had to make a calculation. This was undoubtedly her most priceless possession. $50,000. That's a lot of money. Growing up in my, in my home, my dad had an old decanter. A lot of you guys know what that means. I, 
I, he always used to use that word. I never really know what it, knew what it meant. I had to Google it again this morning, to be honest. A decanter is something that holds alcohol. It's a, it, and that alcohol in there is, is, pre, is costly, right? It's, uh, it's going to gain value over time. But what was really cool about it was the, the decanter, the bottle that contained the alcohol, was this really neat fighting Illini bottle, okay? So it sat on the mantle in my home, and I remember growing up looking at that bottle and thinking how cool the bottle was, but I also was really curious about what was inside. There's no naughty story about me going and drinking it. I see some of your faces out there. There's no naughty story. But I was very curious about it. And it, it, the bottle actually had a seal on it. And that's probably what prevented me from trying to find out what was inside there. If you broke the seal, it lost a lot of its value if you broke it open. The alabaster jar was like that, right? This is a family heirloom type of thing. Probably passed down from generation to generation. And it's one of those things that you would maybe set on the mantle, but never actually use. Just something beautiful. Yet on this day, on this day, she decided to use it. Just let that sink in. She's decided to use that thing. If you're in the position of those other people watching in the room, we might be, we might be tempted to think the same thing that they did. How could you do this? Do you realize how much that was worth? But Jesus gives a different answer. Look at verse 7. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. This is an interesting answer. Jesus obviously did not hate the poor, right? We've seen that too many times, how he's cared for the poor and the sick to even think otherwise. He explicitly tells the disciples in Mark 9 to serve those in need, even to the point of just giving somebody a cup of water. And the disciples themselves, after Jesus rose from the dead and they were commissioned, filled with the Holy Spirit, what did their ministry look like in Acts and and, and further on through history? It always was bound up in serving the needs of the poor. So that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is commending in this moment with probably Deuteronomy 15 and Psalm 41 in the back of his mind, is he's commending her worship of him. It's not an either or. It's not the poor or me. It's care for the poor and worship me. Worship Jesus. Use your money, your time, your whole life for both. Her calculation of using her priceless heirloom to bless Jesus Use our most expensive gift on him to bless him. That's right. That's a right calculation. There's going to come a time to use your resources for the, for the poor, but there are also times for us to use all that we have to worship Jesus. And that, there's an instruction there for us, a question that I have been asking myself in light of this. What does my devotion to Jesus cost me? Do I ever go without for the sake of the gospel and for others? Do I ever inconvenience myself for Jesus' sake, for his purposes, for his kingdom? Jesus praises this woman's decision, her calculation. That's what he praises, to use her most precious gift on him. Fundamentally, that, that calculation is correct because Jesus is most precious above all else. By all means, brothers and sisters, use your life, spend your life for the poor, for the needy, and give your best 
to the most beautiful one of all, to Jesus. This is beautiful because her calculation was correct. That's the first one. Here's the second one. This is beautiful because she did what she could. Verse 8, just a real short phrase. She has done what she could. It was all she had. In the calculating and thinking about Jesus, something moved her. Not to put a couple drops here and a couple drops there. She poured out the whole bottle, the whole thing. That is a costly flood of praise. An anointing of a king, an anointing for burial. And it's not just the oil. The oil is just a picture. It's a picture of her heart. She's pouring out her heart, pouring out in praise over the one that she loves so much. But it's more than that. There's more to it than that. It is what she could do. It is what she could do. There's something utterly unique, something uniquely you about your praise of your father who created you. There's something about your praise that Jesus uniquely desires. The woman followed her heart here. She, she felt deeply moved, and she responded with what she felt like was the right thing to do. It's what she felt she was sensing in that moment. What does that look like for you, though? As your heart is moved, as your heart is stirred by Jesus, as you think on all that he has done for you, and all that he is for you, and who you are because of him, how do you, how, what is your response? What is your natural response? Hers was to pour out this flood of praise, this most costly gift. What is yours? It might be something different, something new. It might be a well-worn path. But do what you can do for Jesus to praise him. This is beautiful. Because she did what she could do. Here's the third one. This is beautiful because what she did was fitting. She did what was fitting. Verse, the second half of verse 8. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Remember the others that were looking on thought that what she was doing was wasteful, frivolous. Was it? Was it wasteful? Was it frivolous? She certainly could have been more productive with the bottle. Right? She could have sold it like the others had suggested. It could have been used for other purposes. But that, uh, that, according to Jesus, wasn't the right framework to think about it. It was right. It fit the moment. Even more right than she may have realized going in. She had prepared Jesus in a way to do the very thing that he had come to do. Think of how much that would have meant to our Savior. And this is a very human moment for Jesus, right? He is feeling more and more alone. The darkness is closing in. His own disciple, the man that he was breaking bread with, has just walked out to go and try to sell him out. And yet in this moment, he, Jesus, the one who stilled the storm with a word, the one who cast out demons, who reached down into death and pulled out that little girl. He's blessed. He's honored. He's praised by an act from the heart. From a purely pragmatic, earthly point of view, what this woman does is for sure wasteful. It's wasteful. But Jesus lifts this up. 
Your acts for Jesus, even if they seem frivolous, even embarrassing, are beautiful in his eyes. You don't have to be productive in your worship. You don't have to be utilitarian in what you do. It doesn't have to serve some use. Believe me, y'all, I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to me. It doesn't have to serve some use. It's about the heart of worship, about coming to Jesus with your heart, coming out of the overflow of your heart. I debated about sharing this, and I hope this is helpful for you. I was just thinking about this passage this week, and one night as I was thinking about this passage, it was late at night, and I couldn't sleep. And I was thinking about my own worship, my own worship of Jesus. What does my worship of you look like, Lord? What does it look like when I just pour myself out to you? How do I worship you with all that I am? It's kind of weird, but in that moment, just laying down there in my bed, I just simply put my, raise my hands up to him in worship because of all that he has done for me and all that he is for me. The more, in fact, and the more efficient and practical thing to do, believe me, after my week was to go to sleep. But in that moment, just moved by, by who he was, convicted, honestly, by this passage, I just wanted to praise him like that. Jesus was drawing near. And so what do you need to do? Maybe you need to go paint a picture and praise to Jesus. Maybe you need to go write a poem or write a song. Maybe you need to sit on the back porch and look out at all that he has made. Maybe you need to talk to somebody, a neighbor or a friend or a family member. Maybe, maybe you need to lift your hands. And as we're singing those final two songs, you need to worship him. Worship him who is worthy of all our praise. Worship him. I read once a story of a boy who wanted to do something wonderful for his mom. And she had this prized possession. It was, a, it was a recipe box that she had stored all of her recipes in, and she had it decorated just how she wanted it, organized just right. It was just what she wanted. And her little boy knew that that was her most prized, like one of her most prized possessions, and he wanted to spruce it up. And so he went and found it without his mom knowing, and he redecorated it. And one day he went to his mom and he said, Mom, I've got a present for you. And his mom knew it was right from his heart. And he brought out that recipe box. And it was trashed. It was covered in tin foil. It was totally redecorated. All of her decorations, all of her cards were gone. It had been filled with water. It was dripping, leaking out the sides. And inside were a nickel, a toy alligator, and some other thing I can't remember at the moment. The mom in that moment, obviously her heart is dropping my prized recipes and everything. That box is one of her most treasured possessions because it came from the heart. Jesus has all kinds of things in his treasure house. He's got a widow's two pennies. He's got a broken alabaster jar. What does he have from you? If you feel led to do something for him, do it. Do it. He will be honored no matter how small it is, as long as it's from the heart. It's beautiful because it's fitting. Worship of Jesus is always fitting. And here's the last one. This is beautiful because she made the right move. Look at verse 9. And truly I say to you, Jesus is still talking, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. We've touched on this a couple times. I just want to drive this point home. This act came from her heart. 
She had been brought out of something before, a life of sin, a life of self, and she had been brought into a kingdom that will never be destroyed. This act, this rush, this gush is an overflow of praise, and it came out of love and gratitude for him. Here's what I want to emphasize here. She was moved. She actually took action. I, I just find that it's all too easy for me, and maybe it is for you too. It's all too easy to get things right in my head about Jesus, but that doesn't translate to my hands, if you know what I mean. It doesn't hit the pavement level. We can be moved in the heart by, by who Jesus is and what he's done, but that never really gets to the streets. It never moves me. She took action. And brothers and sisters, do not allow your worship of Jesus to only stay in your heart, but give it wings. It's good to start in the heart. It must start in the heart, but you got to give it wings. you got to give it time. you got to give it space, movement. Give yourself to the worship of the most beautiful one of all. What was the result of this move, of her action? She's remembered. What she has done, this act is remembered. It's not her heroic efforts. It's not her spotless theology. It's not her well-put-together life. It is her extravagant praise of the one who came to die for her. It's the one who came to ransom her from death to everlasting life. That's what's remembered. And where will this be remembered? Where will it be remembered? The whole world. That's what Jesus says. Do you hear that note that's ringing out over the top of this? It's a clear note cutting right through the darkness. It's loud and it's clear. It is vindication. Jesus knows he's about to die. He's surrounded by his enemies. They are closing in. His friend is about to betray him. Someone he shared bread and wine and life with. But in that moment, he says this, and I'm going to say it again. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. You're going to remember this woman. You're going to remember her in 2020, in the middle of a pandemic. In the Barry's backyard, you're going to remember her. You're going to remember her today. You're going to remember her in Asia and in Africa, in Australia, in Europe. You're going to remember her in South America, all over North America. She's going to be remembered. Wherever this gospel goes, you're going to remember her. You're going to think about what she has done for me. And you're going to know it's beautiful. Because I will die, but I will rise. And I will send my spirit with such force and power that the ends of the earth will hear about this woman's act of worship in the context of hearing about the most ultimate act of selflessness that has ever happened. The Son of God giving his life as a ransom for all nations, for the whole world. This gospel will go to all nations and then the end will come. Remember that from last week? I will die, Jesus says, I will die. But that is how this kingdom will for once, once and for all be open to all peoples from all places for all who worship me. She will be remembered because I have come to gather people like her, that is, worshipers from all nations. I've come to gather people who pour out their praise to me and gather them into my everlasting joy. Get on board with that, brothers and sisters. We got to move. 
The vindication is already complete. Jesus is ringing out that note that night. He completes it on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. His anointing wasn't only for burial. This was the anointing of a king, a king who rules over all, who conquered the enemies of sin and death so that you and I can follow him all the way to glory. Would you not live your life for such a king? Would you not worship a king like that with abandon? Would you not give your all to him in worship? Would you not give your most costly possessions to the one who has brought you out of sin and into his everlasting kingdom, into a life now of incredible purpose and eternal joy for forever? Last story, and then we'll be done. Thank you guys for sticking with me. I know it's hot. I love you guys for sitting out there. I love you guys for staying online. Thank you. I remember a story a friend told me. He worked at a summer camp where kids with disabilities came um, to have fun together, and they would get outside and hear teaching from the Bible. The kids would come for a full week, and each day the camp had musical worship. Um, They'd gather the kids together, and he was in charge of of a certain group of kids, And early on in the week, my friend noticed that one of the boys that were assigned to his care could only sing a word here and a word there. My friend listened for a couple days, and he finally asked him, why do you only sing random words to these songs? And this young young boy explained to him, because I'm paralyzed, and I can't get enough breath to sing the whole song. So I have to choose the words out of the song that mean the most to me, that will allow me to praise Jesus with my whole heart. And those are the ones that I choose to sing to him. Jesus is worthy of that beautiful worship. He is worthy of all worship. He he poured out his blood for you. So pour out your praises. Whatever you got, all that you got for him, he is worthy. Remember these lines from this song. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at your feet, its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee, ever only all for thee. Lord, we love you, but only because you loved us first. Oh, Lord, there is none more beautiful than you who poured out your blood for us. Help us to pour out our praises to you today and going forward as your people. You're worthy to be praised by all nations, by the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen.